Welcome to Art Workplay Podcast, a podcast for art students and full-time fundraisers. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning more and more to think about the podcast as just like long-form social media. Like I, I think yeah. it's it's as a medium, there's like this potential for there to be like a research practice for there to be creative interventions with sound, but, but it, it does seem like often the stuff that I'm most interested in is just people talking about things they have opinions about, which is basically <sighs> what social media is. Um, right. Well, I feel so uncomfortable with like the, or I, I mean, not uncomfortable per se, but like, uh, sort of adverse to the, the posting, the, 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 the sort of, what is it? What is it? The light? When you just repost something because you like feel strongly about the politics, but it's just like a, the, I guess it's what some people say virtue signaling, but <laughs> or like uh, uh, like uh, the the like um, the the bubble, the yeah. social media bubble. Yeah, it's I guess it's it's kind of a way to take those topics that you see like posted about, but you're not sure if you're going to be adding anything by re that just reposting it to the same crew that's already seeing it. Uh, in that social media bubble, so perhaps, yeah, this is this is the alternative, or is is this the alternative? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. We'll I see. feel tune ma- in, tune in for the next twenty five episodes <laughs> where we'll answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we. Uh, I, I want to begin with an epilogue from um, studio friend of the studio Bifa Berardi. Woo! Which I think it, it was. It was definitely you two who got me into. Berardi. I think you yeah, may even have copy, brought it back. Right? From, I, um, this was originally your copy, and then I bought you a replacement copy. Cause, <laughs> yeah. cause but I, it wasn't actually our copy. I think it was our professor's copy that uh, we borrowed. Ashley Scarlett, shout out. Uh, now professor uh, tenure track at ACAD. She's I moving think. up in the world, but she was the best, prof- yeah, our favorite professor at our art school, which is going to be the topic of this. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was an art school professor. Uh, she had that lying around. And we borrowed, we bore, we lent you the copy, then you bought us a new copy, uh, which we then gave to her or something. Anyway, we have like, we have a copy currently sitting on our shelf as well that wasn't the original, so... <laughs> Anyway, please, please. That's the fetching title, The Uprising on Poetry and Finance, which, uh, and it's like a very aesthetic object. But but then it also, I think I talked about Berardi a couple of times in previous episodes because I do think that rhetorically he's so interesting. And then, I don't know, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but but I think that like a lot of the discussion uh, surrounding artificial intelligence right now and uh, uh, job automation uh this seems to presage it uh in the sense that uh contemporary critics are talking about how um uh the people who are behind uh ai for instance uh have a lot of like libertine allegiances and they have like they they're kind of doing this um uh silicon valley uh kind of futurist notion uh did I say libertine again instead of libertarian? Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't catch it. I this didn't even time. notice. Now, so you just infected us with your words. Awesome, but but it basically, he's like, you can't you can't work against certain technologies. It, it, and I forget, man. Maybe you guys remember, but there's, he's like, the ways as technology ramifies, 
the, there's some swords that can't be turned into plowshares. Uh, and some people are saying now that artificial intelligence is one of those things. And algorithms. what do you mean by what do you what do you mean by that? Which part? The plowshares part. I don't. What that oh well, means. there's this. The, um, before your time, there was a musician called Michael Jackson, and he <laughs> said he said that we need to turn our swords into plowshares. But but the, but the analogy is just kind of like um, technologies can be misused uh, to, and put to a purpose opposite to their design. And it seems like Berardi is arguing that with contemporary technology, the way that it um, controls the swarm and the way it insists upon normative capitalist values, that there's no way to um, push back, to use that technology to push back. Mm. Um, yeah, dismantling the master's house with the master's tools. Yeah, which I guess is also an old metaphor, but um, I, I, I don't know. There's something evocative about Berardi. And then... Uh, Kind of like a post epilogue at this point, I wanted to read into the to the show um, to kind of like set the stage for some of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, I am not actually sure what I am talking about when I say the word art. You aren't either. Nobody is exactly. Yet it seems that in a recent poll, twenty four to twenty five percent of young German people interviewed by journalists answered the question, "What do you want to do when you're an adult?" by stating that they wanted to be artists. What are they picturing? What do they think being an artist means exactly? Are they thinking about the rich possibilities that the art market offers? Well, maybe, but I don't think so. I think that they are saying that they want to be artists because they feel that being an artist means to escape a future of sadness, to escape a future of precariousness as sadness. They are thinking, well, precariousness and sadness can become something different, something not so sad, not so precarious. If they withdraw their faith, if they withdraw from the expectations a capitalist future can offer. I don't want to expect anything from the future. So I start my future as an artist. <laughs> Would but, I do it? Do you, so do you think that that's uh, sort of saying that these that the people who want to be artists nowadays are sort of like, oh, if I'm going to be starving, I might as well be a starving artist? Um, that seems like one thing that's true. I think that what Berardi is saying, and then this other article that we want to talk about, could you guys tell if it was Gallagher or Newsinger who wrote the article? Um, no, I, I could not tell. I could not tell. Who's, who's posting? Who's like the one? Maybe if we reread that last paragraph, because it says like he kind of give, the author gives like I lecture at this uh, at this thing. You could like do a deep Google or something and like figure out which 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 of the two names are on the faculty list. I'm but, 80 uh, percent sure not. it's new singer. <laughs> like I, I just based on precisely the, the inductive stuff that you're saying. Or, um, <laughs> but but he taking from uh, taking uh, um, the lead from Graeber, uh, who <laughs> introduces the theory of bullshit jobs. This person, who I think is a new singer, uh, talks about creative jobs as bullshit jobs. Um, and I think, or certainly, yeah, a specific a specific new kind or that the idea of the creative class yeah. the emergence yeah that's an important thing well he and he talks a lot about the cultural what the cultural indus industries or cultural workers and i think while he doesn't underscore that like that, that is certainly 
that turn away from identifying uh, people who uh, um, produce culture, even trying to even trying to define it becomes a struggle because we think about artists as cultural labors, but uh, cultural work or cultural production or creative classes has also been appropriated and absorbed by institutions like universities and granting agencies uh mm-hmm. by government and it, and then it's used by activists as well but it 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 does frame the worker in a in a i mean the artist in a very particular light but i think one of the things that new singer is talking about that article and that berardi is talking about um and even in that reading in the art and labor podcast that we spoke about in previous weeks this 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 emphasis on autonomy uh is i think pretty uh, fundamental. So I don't think that they're saying I'm going to be, I don't think Berardi's saying anyway, I'm going to be precarious. Therefore, let me be precarious with autonomy. I think it is the, the, the non-alienated labor, the, the autonomy and the perceived freedom of art as work that is drawing, especially young people. There's a really good article called White Goods, Red Goods, that basically it's by a Canadian writer and talks about the Canadian granting system. And the argument is basically kind of like without the fodder of young artists who will inevitably burn out, the art system would belly flop. So, <laughs> True. And, and I've seen it because I'm old, right? And I've seen, <laughs> I've seen like all the people who started making music in their twenties who just stop and, uh, even and you in and I did creative writing, and you see the people who like would not sleep to write, and who would build their whole lives around writing, and now they teach um, paragraph development in college. You know that yeah, it's like um, your ability to continue working in a creative field is dependent on whether or not you can somehow get funding to uh, to work uh, to do your projects or. Um, and it seems like a pretty, it's a pretty marginal percentage of people who are able to sustain that over a longer period of time. Like Mm -hmm. that's something that you especially notice when you, when you go to school in the arts and like you sort of start with this cohort of classmates and then, uh, a year out from school or or, uh, even more so two years out from school, people are uh, just like have the the people who are still involved in the arts is i would say less than 10% for yeah, sure yeah they definitely like i remember a class specifically <laughs> where like our our professor was trying to gear us into the idea that 10% of you in this class will still be practicing in 10 years and that itself is a victory and not then, even to be you know all the other things right. that um specifically the contemporary art market kind of like throws at uh the arts culture as like what success is like being um like uh represented by a gallery or like having it like exhibiting many shows or something or like touring like just being they emphasize in art school just practicing at all like make even if you're not selling not showing that itself is a victory (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> which was really, which was really like, you know, you're talking to a class of like 30, 21 year olds who are all painting students. Um, <laughs> and they have it. So just practice that paying state- out the nose, but yeah, <laughs> sorry, keep going. Well, that state of just practicing mm-hmm. it all could either mean that 
you're working another job that could that has varying degrees of relevancy to your wider practice, maybe has none at all, or maybe it's something that's in a similar field as your practice or you teaching the things that you are um, also doing in your art practice. Which is the case for all three of us. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. And then uh, also the that that you are writing uh, writing grants um, that you're applying for funding in whatever ways, uh, so like being still involved in the arts, being part of that like marginal ten percent or whatever means that you're you are doing one of these sort of like a lot of your time is spent doing uh, this like bullshit jobs as it's called by mm-hmm. David Graeber and in this the article that we were reading this week um, where a lot of your time is spent is taken up by bureaucracy. Um, uh, by uh, paperwork, uh, by doing, do at best doing writing about your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but usually it's much more sort of like um, peripheral sort of like grant reporting, budgeting, uh, that sort of like more administrative tasks. Mm-hmm. Means- which in turn, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, you, you, you. Or just thinking like, which in turn, like that sort of, um, even though like, the, you know, Canada uh, with its granting system is set apart and produces very, uh, like fosters a very different art uh, than the United States because of its granting system, which is great that it's there. It's still like privileges, if not just the children of, of rich parents um, who can afford to, you know, help the kids with their rent when they don't have art shows or not selling out their, their paintings or whatever, uh, that privileges like the children of the managerial class, which are, who are very used to filling out forms and, you know, account accounting and like keeping receipts or whatever, Um, (laughs) which is, yeah, where I feel like that I, I fall into the category of, the child of managers. <laughs> I think I think that you make a good point, that, um, and it can't be restated enough. And it's I think, pro- like, I mean, in this in a in a certain sense, and in, in a very reductive sense, this these themes are like central to like the thesis of our entire podcast and some of our work is like there is like so much um, like hard class ideology built into even the conception of art making that like Marx says about ideology, you're doing it and you don't know you're doing it. And the orientation of self-branding and social media and of uh, universities and of granting systems all towards market viability and market impact. Um, on the one hand and on the other hand towards production values and uh, toward um, coherence for a very broad audience. All of these things have a very charged class uh, orientation to them. Um, Their commitment to um, profit making, uh, to being measurable. And, And then on the other hand, uh, the the relative inaccessibility. Matt Dryhurst had a really interesting point or a really interesting tweet this week where he was like, I think it was him or maybe he was reposting, but something to the effect of, you know, you live in New York for 10 years and you begin by just being in awe of these people who have who have stayed on their grind so long that they've they've managed to rise in these in in their fields and then you get to know them and to a to a person, each of them comes from money. 
And it's funny, but it's not even worth a laugh because it's just like, yup. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's sort of, um, it's even less, less for like what, what an art education prepares you for is even less than just like the capitalist vision of, of art that is like market oriented. It's more just it. I think art school just prepares you to be this like sort of like secondary or, or tertiary benefit for capitalists and developers and corporations where either you're, you're uh, a tool for gentrification to happen for the most part. I think it's especially what the, uh, the sort of like emerging goal of Ontario college of art and design, where we went to school Mm -hmm. is, is to both be a sort of, uh, uh, an agent that is in line with developers and then producing um, uh, citizens in the artists who are going to be by no fault of their own, like sort of reproducing gentrification in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's in the, that article, red good, white goods talks about that, how market speculation uh, is literally in some instances based upon tracking the, the neighborhoods that artists move to. I also think it's interesting that your work, your uh, shared work in Tough Guy Mountain was so fascinated with development in that way, but it's is in a certain sense maybe it's like um, talking back to the that uh, orientation toward gentrification that you were experiencing. Was was there something specific about development that you were encountering there, or is, is it a dot that you're connecting in retrospect? Um, I see it. Well, we did a our first really our first art project we ever worked on. Uh, was with the um, uh, the no longer existing OCAD, <laughs> OCAD student gallery. Um, That's where my was, first show was too. Yeah, Whoa. and uh, yeah, Carol, Caroline McFarlane and um, uh, v- Vanessa Nichols did like uh, were really awesome people for like sort of getting people started getting people's art careers started uh and um yeah the curators at the gallery yeah working there but the the one when we were working when we got a a project there in 2013 it was already slated to be demolished and replaced by a condo the gallery was right next to the university the art the art school that we were attending and it's now been fully replaced by this this Mm -hmm. new condo development whose value is no doubt sort of like uh, completely anchored upon both being downtown, but then also being by this uh, iconic um, OCAD building, mm-hmm. which is the sort of like cow on stilts. And precede, like uh, pre- the in the years preceding mm-hmm. the uh, the actual building of the condo, but when it was still like it had been the area, the land had been sold, it was the parking lot and and uh, gallery had been slated for demolition. It triggered a lot of uh, sort of gentrification of. In, uh, of the of the park, which uh, I feel like we talked about this in a previous episode, but maybe I'm just imagining it. Uh, but like the park that was next to the school, we mostly ha- talked was, about like, completely- piss in the last episode. That was the one Carol was on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I'm safe then. Yeah, like that completely changed. That this one condo um, triggered like the or yeah, this one condo triggered a bunch of events in the area that made it less friendly to the original inhabitants, which included a homeless population, um, a large number of uh like capped rent buildings, um, and artist, I, housing. and artist housing. I know because I did the census 
uh, recording in for that area. And we lived there. And we lived there as well. <laughs> so it's like the And we the, got we got evicted. And we got, also got evicted in the same square radius. Um <laughs> and so, interestingly so, <laughs> also replaced with um boutique artist studios. Yes, yeah. our the place that we lived um and and lived and worked out of in a in a in a capped rent uh sort of of situation. Uh we were we we were evicted and later that space was turned into boutique art so. studios. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and, and very, yeah. And we were, we were the ones in 2013 who were um, creating an exhibit about uh, an, the selling condos, a condo showroom in the art gallery uh, that would later be demolished. And uh, also with that, the, uh, advent of that demolish like our ability to live in downtown yeah, toronto we were, but we <laughs> were really sad we were selling people the dream of a condo maximum and in the end all they got was a condo minimum okay okay <laughs> can can i you can we read this uh, press release from ocad now okay Okay, uh, it's from the beginning of the month. Today, the government of... So wait, headline. OCAD University receives approval to grant degrees for the jobs of tomorrow. You got that right. Today, the government of Ontario announced changes to the OCAD University Act that will reduce red tape, love it, administrative burden, and save money while allowing OCADU the ability to offer a full range of university-level degrees for the jobs of tomorrow. Until now, legislation limited the types of degrees that OCAD University could offer. To onboard new degrees that would respond to labor market demands, OCAD University expended thousands of hours in staff time and significant amounts of money through a tedious administrative process. This is their own press release and they're like self-owning themselves. We are very pleased with the Ontario government's decision to allow for full degree granting authority at OCAD University, said Dr. Sarah Diamond, President and Vice Chancellor at OCAD University. The change will allow us to reduce red tape and continue to modernize art and design education to respond to a changing labor market. As a result, OCAD University will be even more of a driving force in the economy by supplying what fuels innovation, career-ready workers who make jobs as well as take them. <laughs> as Ontario's only creative university, OCADU trains students in areas that are helping close the skills gap in a variety of sectors, including manufacturing, automotive finance, creative industries, and technology. 94% of OCADU students find jobs after graduation, and more than 80% of graduates will operate their own business or work as entrepreneurs. Which pause, because that really just means that like, that's just the cost of living in Toronto that's forcing them to get any job that they can so, other than the rich kids. And so entrepreneurs here is code word for freelancers with no dental or yeah. benefits. I, wait, wait, one more paragraph. The skills required for art and design professions are in constant evolution. Uh, with this latest announcement, OCADU will now be able to offer a breadth of university-level degrees relevant to contemporary knowledge in the fields of art and design. These changes will allow OCADU to continue and to support Ontario students and compete on the world stage. 
So that you know that that's just like some deal that they cut with the uh, with the Ford foreign government gov- government of Ontario in Ontario to just be like, hey, we you don't care if we like make up new degrees like uh, 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 Bachelor of Finger Painting uh, <laughs> or no, it would be even worse than that. It'd be like Bachelor of Financial Design. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, I, it's the, for me, like John, part of what you're saying about the cell phoning is um, as soon as you start hearing like um, this idiom of progress, the, 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 the those that sort of like lyr- lyricism around modernizing um, that that to me is like for, for some reason I'm I'm shocked that it doesn't it doesn't send up flags for even the audience for whom that would be designed, and perhaps it's like a bit. Um, kind of like ivory tower of me but I, I i just think what does modern modernizing mean in this context what what like perhaps it actually means hiring more admin even though they're talking about like getting rid of red tape because let's face it okaji loves administration that's but that's what's that is hilarious to me because it's the same fucking thing at the colleges where we've gone out uh, on strike and there's no money and there's no money but like statistically and without much trouble you can track um like not just anecdotally also anecdotally but statistically you can track the growth of administrative jobs especially in the amongst the professional managerial classes and you can watch their salaries grow and Mm -hmm. far outstripping uh inflation whereas uh, our our salaries literally stagnate it's much more lucrative to be an OCAD administ- like an OCAD admin than an OCAD teacher because most of the OCAD like instructors are just sessionals who are screwed over or or tenure track employees who were grandfathered into the uh, to the tenure system with without the like degrees that would be required of the of current sessional faculties who were trying to get on the tenure track because there was a point at which the uh, Ontario College of Art and Design switched from a college, college to, to like an accredited university, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So people who were working there already, which is fair, were able to become university professors and receive tenure. Um, but they're not the, they, the, now the sessionals who are trying to make, uh, their start their careers are sort of like faced with like a lot of challenges. And very good instructors too. Like the people that I, that most influenced my experience in at OCAD were sessional instructors who Big didn't time. know if they could go back. People on two-year contracts. People on two-year contracts, people who like no longer work there because of this bullshit. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's when they're up against like a bunch of people who have tenure without who haven't been like practicing for over 10 years and have very little understanding of like contemporary art at that point but it's more so it's <laughs> that wouldn't be so much that's a problem not so much a problem if there yeah. wasn't this like glut of on the side of like admin like is saying that oh well we can't hire more stable like we can't deploy more stable uh tenure track professors because they hire every they, year yes. they're constantly yeah. hired the, yeah, the, they the are. System, they, until very recently, and it's and it, and it's as a result of the Ford government, and there's been a number of cutbacks and freezes, at least on the college side of things. But until recently, there there was like growth every uh, year on year. There was growth, um, but it is as you're saying, they're not hiring into the stable uh, positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's my same experience. My same experience uh, going to like a private school uh, for grad school in the states in Chicago. Uh, it was like just 
the same sort of out of hand and like uh, case there, but it was like even more extreme. It kind of was like a what OCAD could become, or like maybe OCAD's right. like uh, mo in this in the in the sort of trajectory it's on. It's like logical conclusion of like being this uh, being this completely for profit uh, institute that just like squeezes money out of students, and then uh, their best lo- their best like employment opportunities is to just uh, work at the same school that they attended as like sessional instructors that are just like scraping by on these really minimum contracts. <laughs> it's very Soylent Green. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, something also, also that I found find striking about the language is um, I think uh, follows out of the uh, Berardi's notion of like uh, financialization, like a turn towards uh, finance culture. And finance culture is like a relatively recent uh, economic uh, creation, as far as I understand, I read some of the uh, some of Graeber's descriptions of uh, 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 economic history, and my eyes sort of cross. But this is what I gather, uh, and you see, you see it too. Well, for instance, humanities departments used to kind of follow their own flag, uh, in the sense that um, you know you would find your niche area of research and you would pursue it, and it didn't matter if it was like. Um, trying to parse contemporary films or um, uh, launch cultural criticisms of fashion or whatever you or, you know, discussing William Hazlitt and uh, his day to day life. Th- th- you would choose your niche and you'd pursue it. Uh, and it and the question of making money off that wouldn't wouldn't enter into it. And here. Uh, and we've seen, and since the time that I was in university, it was already beginning, and people who were before me was saying it was much worse than it was. And now you see it continuing to worsen, where uh, humanities departments, arts departments, STEMs, everything is um, reproducing the corporate organization, the orientation toward goals and outcomes in terms of like. Um, five and 10 and 20 year projections, the entire culture is being absorbed and uh, reproduced by these, uh, uh, these bodies that should, that have good reason to be independent of those things. Uh, judging art uh, for like its use is to fundamentally misunderstand it. Like, Thinking about the cultural production that is accomplished by somebody studying some dead old white man is to fundamentally misunderstand what is going on there. Even if there is like colonial questions and those sorts of things rolled into it, it just is a total misapprehension that seems to escape all of us. Do you want to just read? Yeah, I got, I got. The shy story now. of the creative industries as a concept is well known. Its origin is usually identified as the British New Labour government's attempt to redefine itself as the party of post-industrial economic modernization, in which high technology, highly skilled workers, and information would play the key roles. Uh, of particular importance, the development of government interventions in the form of policy was the perceived spillover relationship between the core creative activities, um, specifically the creation, 
the creation of cultural expression in books, painting, films, plays, so on, and the industries of commercialization and reproduction, being publishers, galleries, museums, DVD distribution, etc., and the wider economy. This allowed the values and practices of commercial sectors increasingly to determine the organization and management of the cultural sector, with the market assuming a much greater proportion of the role of cultural commissioning and authority than had been the case previously, and a much greater role in management and regulation of productive capital in the forms of ideas and labor. So just thinking about, yeah, that sort of transition to like giving more more and more power to the people who have, yeah, like have the, uh, the middlemans. The middlemans who also are incentivized to, uh, to ask the questions of like, is this art good or effective? Or how can we measure the outcome? Uh, or, or like, how can we measure the results of this art impacting people? Uh, yeah, it was just explained well. Working in the, <laughs> at art school and working in the institution that we're working at now, um, you see, and in any art institution, whether it's a granting body or a museum or a gallery or a school, um you see these the two uh the two frameworks in which like the rest of our like society is operating within which is like exponential growth and austerity which like in art produces this sort of like insanity of like trying to make things means tested and trying to make things goal like rubric goal oriented while at the same time assuming and 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 pushing towards growing year after year in in some way which is ocad tries to i being at we're doing some stuff on the admin side there i know that they try to grow themselves year mm -hmm. after they year. try to they get more and more student enrollment, enrollment yeah without like i mean they've sort of acquired new buildings recently um but they're in, I think, like one building's like entirely filled with just admin. <laughs> but there's this sort of like, there is this, uh, the, all these strange Kafkaesque paradoxes of like, oh, because we are, we are in this scarcity mindset and because, um, it, we, because we're in the scarcity mindset, we have to go after growth and we have to go after, if we want to, the place that we work at now, they talk about, oh, we, if, uh, we need to, we need to do these things if we want to exist in five years, which fair enough about being strategic. Um, uh, but at the same time, that is going, that's the, that is the material conditions, the base that informs what sort of activities your art organization, whatever it is, is going to be carrying out when you're living in that like austerity scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. Like, sorry, go. No, for no, no, no. You're on the roll. Go. I, I was just like, like the 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 idea that OCAD University has to continuously, uh, you know, improve its its uh, its enrollment, et cetera. It's so absurd when it's like it's literally an institution that's been around for like over a hundred years, and it has evolved out of so many different kinds of formats. It's so the yeah the urgency to uh, just adopt these new languages in order to sa sound relevant is so uh, feels like very obviously like uh, just. I don't know, whatever the de rigueur may be, just like, but it's but silly. <laughs> anyway, you'll, you'll still be there, OCAD, even if you don't like squeeze 10 more people into each class and yeah, and cut the teacher's salary. But uh, go for it, Ben. <laughs> I see, I see like a similar shift uh, ha that happens and that's happening in music. Um, uh, I think it, you can trace it uh, in the switch from MP3 blogs to streaming services. I think you can, um, in particular, 
um, the coverage of emerging artists where uh, increasingly when um, when you see uh, outfits that do review, and there are, of course, exceptions, but a lot of the, especially the, a lot of the ones that have stayed the course, it's they're often short um, uh, reviews that throw a number of familiar adjectives at you and talk about whether or not you should like acquire something, um, or it's in, in it's not in so direct language, but this is the implication. Uh, they're often directly connected um, or in conversation with labels and. Um, there's a decreasing emphasis on the find or discovery. Uh, it's and just as we saw previously in art, there's an emphasis toward curation, especially in playlists. So, where an MP3 blog, it seems like the general thesis or the general motivation was, I want to discover something new, whether it's in my um, immediate community or my broader musical community, and I want to be the first to appreciate it. And then I want to share that appreciation with people. So it required kind of like uh, uh, an inquisitiveness and interpretive effort. And then contemporarily, uh, playlists are curated toward moods and impressions and experience. And uh, it so you, you punch your mood into whatever the streaming service is, and then you get a curated playlist that you listen to passively. And then the activity becomes liking or not liking something. And then that entire interpretive layer, that, 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 um, that layer of investigation or curiosity is stripped out. And, it, and it, I think it hurts uh, the music economy because it reproduces class advantages in the shape of who can afford to um, make mistakes and learn and grow, and, then, and who can afford to go to different shows, afford the instruments and that sort of thing. Uh, and then there's, and then there's, a, so there's the commercial gatekeeping and then the inevitable class gatekeeping that happens um, in terms of um, uh, who's financially interdicted. I think. Yeah. It, 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 it it's, it's going back to. Uh, it is cyclical. Yeah. Uh, well, Bifo Berardi's uh, like, um, uh, like his opinion of technology seems to ring true here as well. Where uh, in this, especially in the case of music here, um, the the form, the 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 mode of consumption is becoming uh, more amenable to like an algorithmic mode, like the putting in uh, things that are even more ambiguous than genre. That is like an easy, because, because genre can also be often be difficult for an algorithm and, and maybe mood might actually be easier for an algorithm to discern. Cause it's just about picking up major and minor light or dark, these uh, things that a computer can understand about music. And then what does that, what sort of um, forms of production does that, uh, do, do those algorithmic and streaming modes, what sort of production does, does it privilege? And I think we, we will see a similar thing happening to video games soon. And I think it plays in uh, pretty nicely with the game that we're going to play today, which is an indie game uh, called Art School. And I think indie games right now, although indie games have existed for more in a mainstream way for more than a decade, there's, they are still more so 
although less <laughs> less than 10 years ago, um, but more like the MP3 blogs uh, than they will be soon um, because Apple and Google have uh, just released uh, what is the, one of them is Stadia. I, can't, I think that's Google's App or Apple. Store. So they have... Not the place. Oh, no, no, but they're but the, the, what what they are are they're streaming platforms for games. So it's like Netflix, but for video games. And I think we're going to see the same sort of transformation happen. Um, people there's this talk of the indie apocalypse and uh they people think that steam did the indie apocalypse so steam is a video game downloading platform it's where most people get most of their games um and it sort of has the same sort of like algorithmic strictures that you're talking about in music ben that um that limit the sort of visibility how how much visibility you can get for your game and that already made it harder for for indies to get the word out and it's only going to get harder but um uh it, art school is a game that's released uh it's on steam but i i bought it through itch which is uh, sort of like the band camp to steam's i itunes store uh meaning that it's uh it's free to host your stuff on itch and they um they have a very like uh grass they had a very grassroots marketing campaign of well, I don't know how grassroots it is, but they, they just used a striking visual and um, musical style of their game to get the attention of music blogs. Also, the creator, Julian Glander, is sort of like a, a hip artist. That's um, a Twitter following and stuff. So Yeah, yeah exactly. Previously Using already had like an audience that he was able to tap into. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Um, so that's sort of in that the MP3 blogs were this bit more of like a grassroots uh, way to discover music. He This is also representative of like uh, a success on the grassroots level. Um which might be a thing that we don't see happen very much anymore in the in the future. I wish that we would that we've discussed this. I want us to cover more of the of the itch games. I feel like like for precisely political reason it's kind of incumbent upon us to not be covering like you know the people like Fadi and Kojima all the time. Yeah. Um yeah, totally. Well, well Fadi has like an art both Fadi and um like Ian Chang which we've both, which we've covered. They have art, they have artistic relevance. Um, oh, but totally. yeah, going forward, I think, yeah, I mean, we, we'll just see what we pull out of our sleeve. <laughs> well, it represents like a sort of, it represents part of the indie apocalypse, which is like a, that's like a, it's a, a very contentious term in the, in video game developer circles, uh, because like, people are like oh it's it's bad like you can't make money off of games anymore and then other people are well it's just the same as it's always been there's always been these uh barriers and gates and gatekeepers um so but anyway the another aspect of the indie apocalypse is the increasing availability of the tools to create video games like um the game engines Unreal and Unity, which Unity is the game engine that uh, Julian Glander used to make Art School because it's becoming easier and easier for people to make video games. And because increasingly, like the Bifo Berardi quote you read, Ben, people want to become artists. This is being an uh, artist who creates video games as as we have the path that we have chosen as well is becoming like one of the most accessible ways to create something that is like to a certain degree, contemporary and relevant. 
And so it's created this explosion of supply in terms of what's available on itch. It's just, it's quite bewildering how much, uh, how much stuff there is on there. So that's one challenge in approaching it critically. <laughs> I think it's what, I think you, and I'm only underscoring here, but it's not, so it's like the, the allure and temptation of the platform and it's the the means of uh, production. So the many to the many to many broadcasting, um, and the and the uh, the relative accessibility of uh, creative technologies that that uh, that seem to bring these things into like within reach for does it like it's the same for video. It's the same for music. It's the same for video games. There's a lot of things that are much more accessible as a result of this. If we can attain the like the social means to continue to reproduce our lives and not have to suffer under the yoke of capitalism, uh, then I would like to see art making, whether it's video games, movies, music, uh, furniture, whatever sort of art you make, return to a more arts and crafts mentality of like, making art for your friends, making art for your community, not making art to be famous, just making art for the context you live in to be enjoyed by the people who care about it. And that would allow everyone to be an artist and it would allow for a platform with as many, um, with as much multiplicity as itch.io has to exist. (laughs) But we need something like a basic income or a, something better than that i don't know yeah i think ben froze with that statement you might have blown his mind yes <laughs> yeah something's broken ben's, ben's gone <laughs> then literally it just exploded ben's back mm-hmm. all right i i you missed john's mic drop <laughs> uh, well, well you got it mic. recorded so if it's any good we can keep it in <laughs> i'm just this i'll just be uh, pencil. I'll put a sample that indicates some foley that indicates I'm being pensively silent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been really fascinated with Pauline Oliveros um, for like a range of reasons. And one of the things that I like about her is she just like, she doesn't really want to sp- spend a lot of time thinking about who's a musician and who's not. And it's not like this self-affirming thing of everybody's a musician, although this this is the sort of language she would use. But I don't think it's quite intended in that way. I think it's just kind of like we can all do it. But what I also find yeah. interesting about her is she's a master. And I find that like this this romantic, um, what's his name, Morris Arts and Crafts idea. Oh, uh, yeah, the William Morris. Yeah. Alluring. But on the other hand, I would miss those occasions of master of mastery and so and i don't know that that it necessarily and we have to choose one or the other but the um i know the uh the oversubscription to cultural production as it's termed in the article uh seems less to produce um dialogue with tradition and more a kind of like uh post-globalization monochrome and and that's why i would be resistant to like i think the means of production being in everyone's hands fuck yeah uh is the platform standing up to what it holding up its end of the bargain where anybody can put their placard out on the front of their building and 
uh, yeah, come listen to, come, come check out my wares. Or is it, is it again somehow being gatekept in ways much, much more mysterious and much, much less clear? Even when you hear professionals talking about Spotify, they're like, well, we think it works this way. We don't entirely <laughs> know. Um, but I think you're talking about a fantastic para-internet universe as opposed to, uh, uh, like, dropping the conditions of a universal creative impulse into a contemporary zeitgeist. Yeah, totally. This is what I'm hoping for. Um, just what we'll all do once we don't have to toil anymore. <laughs> Fully automated luxury communism. Here we come. Mm -hmm. Let's. Do you want to play art school? Fuck yeah. On that note. Yes. Okay. Clapping. Three, two, one. Now, Kat, everybody's going to get to see behind the curtain Drive. and get a look at how you do uh, how you do all the graphics for the various <laughs> spec work projects. <laughs> oh, yes, it's true. Yeah, the, I don't know how we can protect my IP. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, overwrite, save, progress. Okay, art school. Art school. Is it just like the real thing? So uh, it starts off just you just have to click. It starts off. Um, you're looking at this weird cue with a bunch of colorful noise in the background. The cue has two eyes and he's talking to you. He's welcoming you into your art school. Hello, Froshman. Welcome to art school. My name is Professor Quirtz. Q-W-E-R-T-Z. I'm an advanced neural network trained on over 100,000 teraflops of the greatest art in the world. I will be your faculty advisor this semester. My job is to analyze your work against my vast database and give you constructive feedback. I was made by scientists, so I am really good at this. <laughs> Thinking. Oh, don't worry. It sounds technical, but art school is really simple once you get the hang of it. That is true. Just use your drawing pad to complete the assignments I give you. The art school campus is here to inspire you. It is loaded with some really beautiful scenery. Well, I'm sure you're eager to get started. Loading assignment generator. Man, I, so I, I think that even um, threaded into this like preamble is like uh, jokes about artificial intelligence and the incontrovert incontrovertibility of algorithmic thinking. Yeah. <laughs> it must be true because he was made by scientists. Mm -hmm. I've just received my first prompts from art school. Draw something you've heard of but never seen. When you've completed the assignment, return to my office for critique. Good luck, freshman, and once again, welcome to art school. Yeah, okay, everyone be quiet while they play the uh, yeah, intro the, song. The song's really good. Trial.
trial. Okay, so I, that song that song is really it was in the trailer for this game and it really uh uh started the buzz for it in a big way. So the game starts and you're this cute little blue character. It's it's uh with the same haircut I have right yeah, now. Yeah, with the bowl haircut. <laughs> and glasses. <laughs> and you're in this very, very sort androgyny. of very androgynous. You're in this very like uh, sort of MS Paint post-internet um, glitchy oh. world can- slash campus. Um, you're moving. It's a third-person view. You can see your body, but also on the screen is a um, a drawing pad, and it's sort of like a just a uh, a pop-up window. Looks very sort of like old-school inter. Yeah, for old school Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. Um, Kat just collected her first color swatch. And yeah. so the sort of coolest innovation of this game is that you um, you gather more artist materials as you go on in the game. So you start off with just a blue color swatch. And so you can just sort of like... Oh, just a black color swatch. Oh, I see. I it. just found the blue one. Okay, Hello. great. So you... But all you do is just you can draw lines. And sort of as time goes on, you get more tools that are, again, Hello. like the... Uh, like the Photoshop basic tools, like the uh, the spray paint brush or the, yeah. the rainbow. There's a rainbow one. Yeah, stuff. rainbow tool. And so the goal of the game is just sort of wander around the campus oh. and find things to draw to complete the uh, assignments for your neural network oh, professor. I'm, I'm, I what are the controls like WASD? Yeah, just WASD and spacebar for jump. Not even mouse. Yeah, just the which mouse. is really annoying because as you can oh. see, like uh-huh, I wondered what was happening. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I'm like overcompensating at each so much. Oh yes, look, I found something else. Okay, oh, you hopefully I'll be able to walk straight. It's interesting how literal symbolism yeah. tends to be in uh, video games. And I, I wonder... Oh, I just fell off the world. Oh, that looks Damn. like a John death. <laughs> that looks like that's yeah. John program. Oh no, oh no, so I, I was... Try. So I didn't actually... <laughs> when you fall off the edge of the world, you hand in your assignment. Whoopsie. And then the professor, because she had a blank page, the professor gave her an assignment not complete. Yeah, so I she have has to, to go and try again. Okay, so how about I? Um, how about before I accidentally fall off, I'll draw something. Yeah. Um, something I've heard of but never seen. Ooh, I like this brush. Uh, I'm gonna go for like. Um, You've seen pubic hair. <laughs> one of the things so this game had uh, sort of mixed reviews upon release uh, it's pretty liked by critics but um, on Steam especially a lot of people um... Kat's writing <laughs> what ethical what I thought she was just going to write ethics <laughs> ethical consent Trial. Oh, <laughs> this is very funny. So the prompt is draw something you've heard of but never seen. And Kat drew some pubes and wrote ethical <laughs> consumerism. Oh, yeah. I miss, I miss the ism here. <laughs> I miss the ism. So, yeah, people, some, some uh, uh, of the consumers of this game on Steam were unhappy that it wasn't, it's not a real artificial intelligence that's grading your assignments. Yeah, how could they? How could they? <laughs> Lie to us like that. 
you get so your assignments, cat. Uh, if you want to return in this assignment, oh yeah, now, like uh, your your assignments are just randomly graded by the neural the by Quartz the neural oh, network. I can get over here. Um, and that that sort of peeved some people because they wanted a real neural network, but uh, other reviewers were more they liked that more because it sort of invokes the uh, absurdity of, of art school grade. So Kat get a B, I got on, a B on yeah. this project. That's pretty good. Yeah, it also, yeah, it's kind of like the whole world, like you're, you're, you're walking around supposedly on campus, but it's you're entirely alone. And then you're like, hand, then you're like handing in this, your work to this professor who grades it randomly without, oh, whoops, I just disappeared. Oh, I'm gonna get another fail. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, as far as like symbolizing the subjectivity and the kind of like absurdity of this institutionalized wow. aesthetic uh, judgment, uh, you know, it, it, it's apt. It's an apt like uh, mechanic to just have this this uh, AI to say a random grade at the end of it. <laughs> um, I'm, but now I'm busy looking for more. Cool stuff. So the next prompt is draw the most famous person you can think of. We there should probably a new brush or something in this new level that I just got access to. And it's it's also Hi. sort of funny that the yeah the main sort of mechanic of the game is just gathering new materials to make art with. But yeah, I, also funny. There's yeah, there's just nobody here, which you know is the best part of art school really if you like was the friends you made along the way that's like the most sentimental thing i think i've ever heard you say (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't that sentimental (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it has nothing art school it's not about all the cool brushes and weird shit you pick up it's the friends you make along the way i guess that's what i was kind of getting at in terms of the materiality like collecting stuff uh, that seems to, like I I do feel like a video game outsider like basically post scroller and 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 it seems like so much is just based on like objects moving objects collecting objects. Oh, yeah. I think I found. Something. What do you mean by post scroller? Like post after like, Mario, Mario, after Sonic, like those th- that that's when I put in the real hours. Uh, apart from getting into like a few phone games here and there and like picking up some things with friends and i've played a lot of different games but like i'm talking about putting in my ten thousand hours that's that was yeah and 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 it's an abstraction that feels alienating to me because i'm not kind of christened into that idiom i think well yeah We've I'm at talked... the end of a James Terrell right now, I think. <laughs> we've talked about... Um, uh, we've ca- talked about, like, a criticism of games. Or a common criticism of uh, of many games is that they're just uh, content delivery mechanisms where there's no sort of, oh. like, meaningful interactions happening. You're just um, navigating uh, a 3D environment and trying to find things. Um, which... It, it it does Try. like it's the easiest thing to do using the tools is to uh, just create uh, put things in a in an, in a space that Try. the player can move within. So it makes sense that that is what we see the most often is these sort of like collection routines because it doesn't it doesn't require mechanic design Try. or interaction design. It's just. 
I'm trying to like make the analogy across. I guess writing is kind of like that. Like, I'm trying to make the analogy across other emergent forms and thinking about like early video work from Fluxus or like um, early forays into electronic music and some of the stuff, like a lot of the stuff that is canonized anyway. And I guess maybe there I'm already answering my own question, but it, a lot of the experiments or the kind of like near misses in video games do they 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 leave me feeling really hollow in terms of content. Trial. It seems to be so. It seems to be very literal and so so much to emphasize Trial. form. Like aesthetically, this is a very beautiful game, but it doesn't the but there's no Trial. the the content seems to to like it does nothing for me. And do you think do you think my expectations are too high, or I'm just being like, uh, like needlessly critical? Or no, I think part of it is just the uh, um, the part of it is the economic conditions in which this game are produced, uh, where it's made by a single person, so they need to they need to work in sort of like the most economically efficient way that they can for them which means that it's just sort of like this there's just this one thing you can do which is drawing pictures on your oh cat get i got okay say draw the most famous person you can think of i do mario and i got an a a very like i'm i knew it was mario even i don't even think i needed the m on the hat <laughs> the hat's the best part <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan, continue. No. Draw one of the massively, massive, extremely expensive sculptures that dot the art school campuses. Do the doggy head if you can still see it. Where did it go? This is maybe a different level, is it? Yeah, I I think this must be the sculpture garden. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's just that I think there's a like, you want to release things as soon as possible. Uh, when you're designing a game and um, so much there's so many each every feature that you add to a game sort of increases the time that it will take to produce it like it seems like exponentially or like uh, by an an to an exponential degree rather than to a linear degree Um, if you want three three if you want to have like three different mechanics in the game it won't just take uh, three times interact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And so I think that means yeah. then also there's because you need to make money, especially as an independent developer like this guy is working alone. Yeah. You want to get something out as soon as possible, especially because he had a pretty good like market. I think the yeah, marketing like when campaign the, when was the, pretty uh, good. Yeah, when yeah. it came out or the, the video came out, I I was really excited. Ooh, I see a new paintbrush. Um, like, I was hyped about it. I was hyped. I loved the song. And then when the when I when we got the game and then um ooh, the oh. thick brush found the thick brush uh so when we got the game and like it played the exact same uh audio as the as the um as wow. the oh that's beautiful as the other one like or as the as the commercial rather like and there was no added like uh there's no added lyrics there's wow. really it was very i'd seen everything i also seen in the it also looks <laughs> Like not this is it's stupid of me to say, but like it looks worse than the trailer because the trailer is made in Trial. some um, 
some actual like 3D rendering engine, like uh, so it looks fancy. Whereas this is just being rendered by Unity, oh. so things can't things look more sort of like default. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't even look as nice as the trailer, which is what the, yeah. that's a stupid thing to say, but whatever. And uh, I mean, it's remember we're talking about art school and the institutionalized aesthetic appreciation of things. Like so, so uh, that it is, should look as good as the trailer. Come that on. is just to say there are like there's a lot of incentive to just release something so that you can like make a little bit of money to sustain like sustain yourself which is awesome that this guy has been able to like i think it's very reasonable it's just it's i'd say totally worth it for the ten dollars or whatever that you pay for it i think it's it's cute i like it and it's and it is like sort of engaging with an art piece but also it's unfortunate that we have to like work within the strictures of the society that we have to work in where you're where yeah. if you have to release i i'm sure knowing knowing the way that like uh artists who work in game design thing whoa i can like wow. i'm sure go. that he would have liked to work on this for longer and put some more stuff in but it's so interesting i like, we're definitely encountering that with um we're definitely encountering that with resource a eh? where we have yeah. kind of got it to a point where we're like okay this is showable but in order to finish it we're going to need a major infusion and you kind of have to show something that is right. that you're not entirely happy with yeah yeah so i can tot i can totally uh relate with that sort of feeling of like that right. a lot of no. these games feel a bit superficial yeah I, uh, <laughs> Caddy's lost in the static. I, I tried to move my way through. Do you want to see what you get? What sort of grade you get on yeah, this sculpture? But I want to then... make it to like one of these like weird little parts, which probably. It's a weird cool excuse move. that you make for the for, for video games because when somebody writes a novel, they also need to eat. When somebody makes a record, they also need to eat. You know, so and so the again, it's this Berardi thing, and now I'm just like engaging with it on a superstitious level but like the is there something about the technological aspect of it that makes it uh, a more potent capitalist instrument <laughs> yet yeah, well yeah that is indeed wow. true but then also it's just the quality of the like it's it's the quality of like the multidisciplinarity of video game making where you really do need yeah. a team of people to be working on something because uh, every aspect of it is so complicated and then the general like that sort of like multi multiplying of the complexity where like you need all these different parts to work and then they all work together and then this creates a level of complexity that is like just I think quite yeah. difficult for an individual that's why Game, successful games made by individuals. Um, the best example I can think of is Stardew Valley. Um, huh. That's an extremely successful game made by a single person uh, that is like amazingly engaging to play. But it took that guy like six years of work, huh. and he was um, completely supported by his uh, by his partner the whole time that he was just like sitting at home and multiple like crushing battles with depression, like just normal artist shit. But um. Um, I want to play that game now. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I remember yeah, that, you guys playing it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we had. Oh, yeah, we were playing it in Berlin. Instead of we? going out to clubs. <laughs> um, but that, I mean, it. but your, your point remains, Ben, that that's, it takes 
how long does it take to write a novel? Yeah. You know, a long, long frame time. And that's like, I remember once um, a, a, an athletic banquet at school. So I, I played sports and then I also was like, um, yeah. kind of like obsessively interested in writing. And I would hang out a lot in the library in the English department and kind of like drunkenly after this athletic banquet, uh, stumbling into the English department and talking to a creative writing professor who I respected and asking him point blank, like, what does one do to become um, to become a writer? And he says, you marry a wealthy woman. <laughs> a wealthy woman. <laughs> well, he was being he was being heteronormative, but you but I mean, it sounds like this is also how you make Stardew Valley. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But I guess it is the other part of what you were saying, Ben, of there being something specific that makes video games a specifically potent capitalist tool or tool is this sort of thing of like, oh, it's quite easy to sell them to make $10 and uh, a sale or or whatever. And then also it's you can um, you can really... uh, like marketing it there's this like art of marketing it that you can be quite good at and maybe that is like the you could that that can be one of the many multi the multivalency of like different activities that go into video game making that's one of them and so maybe that's one that you're really good at so you want to get to that part as soon as possible marketing the video game and I mean, I feel like my bullshit job as a creative producer is like all the platform shit. And then I like I take pleasure on certain social media platforms, but thinking specifically about streaming platforms, uh, like having to create those profiles and having to think about uh, how you brand yourself and having to think about release schedules and having to think about all of these things, which it's all well and good. I mean, if you want to commit to a career direction, then this is what one does. But uh it all feels a bit kind of like um a lot of that work i end up doing as one who feels it is a bullshit job and it impacts the result um yeah like graber's analogy in the bullshit jobs articles it's like it's as if everybody's been hired to make furniture uh, and part Mm -hmm. of that job is frying fish i feel like promoting my music and uh, trying to like get it placed in blogs and and uh podcasts and playlists is like the frying fish and i'm in a room full of frying fish and never making the the furniture making the furniture much much less than i would like to yeah no one wants to fry so much no one wants to spend any time with you because you smell awful fishy (laughs) exactly well that's i mean somehow like the people who i end up being most interested in would kind of like turn their nose up at the fish smell a little bit being like okay man like yeah we get it you put an album out could you stop cluttering our feeds with that you know (laughs) i'm just frying some fish here what do you want me to do (laughs) it's in the job description (laughs) well um pivoting back to oliveros my this is my um uh, compulsion for the week is uh she taught because she went to school with terry riley and steve wright Oh, yeah. And she kind of went through a long period of anonymity after like uh, uh, a kind of like uh, bright start. Uh, and she cared, she said, I just went into the woods and I just wanted to work. And they wanted to work, but they also wanted acknowledgement for their work. And she says that's the big difference. And I mean, the happily end of the day, Oliveros is recognized and acknowledged for, for um, being the forebearer that she is and 
for her for her work. But you know, <laughs> there was a dodgy minute when she might not have been picked up in that way. Uh, it, it does seem that part of canon is about uh, a good part of canon. How a, a major part of canon is that self-marketing thing. Yeah, a lot of it is, and like it's the the through line for artists thus far in human history is like sort of so, somehow seeking patronage. <laughs> Yeah. And that that's that's the sort of like common denominator between all the fish frying is that it's all some form of wow. of seeking patronage. Yeah, whether from the church or the aristocracy or your Patreon. Or relative leisure class jobs. I mean we say yeah. this, but like you know, Comrade Marx was like living in poverty. But a, but a lot of people had kind of like bankers hours jobs or clerical work, like professional class jobs that they that would enable them, like early writers, I mean. Trial. Um, Conrad Marx? Comrade. Comrade. Oh, I thought you were doing another Liberty thing. Um, <laughs> Conrad Black. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's part Trial. of the creative class now. He's just an opinion piece writer. Yeah, exactly. He's just a he's, uh, the Floridian exemplar. A man of letters. Whoa, Kat. Man. Really? Kat got a B, man. It's because you drew a vagina and they're sexist. (laughs) I got a B last time, too, for my butt joke, which I... I, I, In in real art school, I got an A grade for my butt joke, so (laughs) I don't think this is very realistic. Not very authentic. Yeah. <laughs> what are you afraid of? Why? Well, that's the other thing that I find interesting, um, especially about your aesthetic as a uh, as a programmer, John, and then uh, wow. so, uh, the the compulsion that you have to make video games. That and and I think Cat uh, brings a lot of like finish and for uh, and. Wow. Uh, uh, formal consideration to the design element but i do think that in a certain sense you have like a lo-fi aesthetic that in the context of like trial uh resisting a market valuation like like it has like a kind of punk ethos that i don't feel like i don't see that happening i mean body kind of does it but it, it does that maybe that's also a way that this that video games as a technology is is resistant to is is a more honed capitalist okay. instrument. Yeah, even the punk people um, are sort of like have ideas about marketing. That's still that's it's like okay. that is an important part of the medium for everyone who's involved with it. It's like how do, how to get the word out about your stuff. I got stuck in a billboard. Good time to close it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> this depressing conversation. It's, it's really says really says a lot about society when you think about what it. What am I afraid of? Death in the billboard. Death by long defilement. <laughs> Plugs. I was at the Brandscape last night for this close listening thing, and oh, yeah. it's really filling up, uh, like, authentically, not just a marketing ploy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are still hot desks left, and I think possibly 
Ian could be talked out of ditching his mega studio if somebody was interested in it. Uh, I, we never I say, but we should say it's also available for event rent rentals and for photo shoots um, yeah. uh, as yeah, a rehearsal a whole, space. Uh... There's, it's, there's a cyclo wall that's currently white. Yeah, the two greatest things that I've done in my life so far have been are the, the cyclo wall that, that uh, we built there and then the shower that we built there. Man, I so thought you were going to leave the shower out because the shower I'm impressed by. It's janky yeah, as anytime, fuck, but it's impressive. We took, there was a toilet and then we turned the toilet into a shower. <laughs> Um, but the the the, the stank, stankiness has nothing to do. That used to be a toilet. That I, I don't think. No, just we don't clean it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but anytime you want to take a shower or uh, take a photo shoot, we've got you covered. And if you want to do both, also yeah, covered. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, and what the we have uh, uh, we have a special. Um, uh, we have a, a special night coming up here in Regina at the Mackenzie Art Gallery on the 5th of December. We're hosting an Artcade wow. event. So that's going to be sort of the uh, starting of some more programming that we're doing there. But um, you'll be able to play a bunch of the projects that we talk about on this podcast. That's cool. The ones we make, not the uh, wow. not the ones we play here. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyone, any Saskatchewan heads? Uh Turn up. Saskatchewanians, I think they're called. Okay. <laughs> Saskatchewanians. Saskatchewanians. I'm going to put some uh, John Cage here on the end that I think is appropriate to this. 433? Four, uh, four, three, three. <laughs> no. But uh, something from the indeterminacy. But something that's relevant. Bye. Bye. Artists talk a lot about freedom. So, recalling the expression, free as a bird, Martin Feldman went to a park one day and spent some time watching our feathered friends. When he came back, he said, You know, they're not free. They're fighting over bits of food. <laughs>